Okay. Uh, for those of you who are listening on tape, I'm very sorry. I've I've started it a bit late, and uh, we're just on on the first slide, which is uh, I was talking about Jonah and how Jonah was a key part uh, of the Bible, just as all the books are. But I, I think it's a very key part because uh, it it makes the connection of grace in the Old Testament with grace in the New Testament, and the consistency of God and His character in, in both the Old and the New Testament. But it's been downplayed. Uh, over the years, I think, because it's been reduced to the kind of thing you do with the kids in Sunday school, uh, and it's not a book that's ever really, I think, been... I bet you find, if you go into a Christian bookshop, you'll find more on um, uh, Song of Solomon than you'll find on Jonah. And for me, this is, this is a standout book that needs more attention. Okay, so um, what's next? Why, why else hasn't it achieved any kind of status? I think it's because, to be honest with you, I've had so many of these discussions over the years where, where Christians sit down and we have this kind of discussion about whether or not it's possible for a man to live inside a fish. And to be honest with you, without using a, a fishy pun, it's one of the biggest red herrings that, that, that there is, <laughs> in the sense that if you really think, if you go out to, uh, you know, on, a, on a dark night and you look up at the sky and you really can acknowledge and do believe, that there's a God who did all that, and then you're arguing about a piece of trivia. That's, that's, what, that's what it is to me, is that if the God of all creation did all that, is it possible that he could have created a special fish for someone to live in, or some, some kind of adaptation? But somehow we, we dismiss Jonah because it doesn't pass our logic. We kind of sit, judge, sit judgment on it and say, oh, God couldn't have done that. Therefore, we dismiss the story as if we can decide what a supernatural God is capable of. He can do the universe, but not the man and the fish. And then, the other thing is, <laughs> um, who wants to really focus on a story where the central character, particularly if it's a good character, is normally us? You know, when, we, when we're reading The Good Samaritan, who are we, normally? The Good Samaritan, the good Samaritan you know. We, we all like a story where we can where the central character, we can identify with the central characters. Jonah, Jonah didn't do a great job here, uh, you know, as, we, as we'll see later. So I think those are, those, those are, are three reasons. Um, so is it more than those three things? My conclusion is yes. It is a phenomenal story of grace, and we'll come on to look at that. So firstly, um, can any, let's just go through a few um, meanings of the word grace, and I'm not necessarily meaning in the Christian sense, but any, in any sentence or any sense in which the word grace might be used. In a making way for somebody else, it could yes. be a female, or it could be a male, of course, or even a young child, being gracious. Yes, yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely a thing about manners, isn't it, yes. that, that somebody um, had good graces. Or, or um, they had the grace to say sorry, something like that. It relates to kind of uh, politeness, courteousness. Yeah, that would be right. What about? Um... <laughs> I, I scarcely. No, no. No, no. I was trying to do a ballerina, but so, so graceful. You know, the graceful movements of um, grace, somebody who moves gracefully, they move elegantly. That would be could be a word. Um, where else would we be good? Say grace before a meal, short prayer of thanks. Yeah. Um, what else? 
Does anyone know the correct term for a, a duke, a duchess, or an archbishop? Your grace. Your grace. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, I didn't know that until I looked it up. Uh, and then there would be, and, and the other one uh, would be an extended period of, of compliance. So, uh, you know, uh, Gabo's need some money, but I'm going to give him 30 days grace. Yeah. So, you know, that would be a deal. And then, what we've got now is, um, I'm quite sure this slide's come up, actually. Yeah, we're going to look at grace as... Uh, you, you, you will find some Christians will describe grace in a, in a very specific way, but I think grace is more than a specific way. The specific way that, that people will describe it in Christian circles is um, undeserved kindness, the undeserved kindness of God. I think, the more I read scripture, that it's not just the undeserved kindness of God, it's the undeserved love of God. Mm. It, it's two things. So I've kind of described it as uh, undeserved kindness unconditional love so what and and this and grace for me is a much stronger much more powerful word than love alone because love when we think about love is very often just it is a two-way scenario you kind of love somebody if they love you back or you're not entirely sure whether they love you with no strings attached that when the bible talks about love and kindness in the context of grace it's a one-way love and a one-way kindness the Bible is, Jesus is asking us, can you love one way? Can you be kind one way? So, so can you love someone who's unlovely? Can you be kind to someone who doesn't seem to be worthy? So let's have a look at this. And, and the big picture in the Bible is it's called, what's called a meta-theme. So a meta-theme would be something which is kind of a, an overarching explanation. Once we have sin in the Bible, which is, I mean, if, this is my Bible here. And we've got, uh, the front bit is, there's a tiny few pages at the beginning when there's no sin, and there's a tiny few pages at the end when there's no <laughs> sin. And then, so you've basically got a sin sandwich where you've got very thin sliced bread on one side and sliced on the other, and in the middle there's sin. And when you've got sin, the, the meta themes, the overarching story that you'll always see going through from <laughs> almost the first page to almost the very end, is justice mercy and grace you'll always see those three things you might not necessarily see them all together but they are the prevalent themes as soon as you have sin uh, as we know when one sin has been committed there is a debt that needs to be paid for that sin and whenever there's a debt that needs to be paid you need justice but the good news is that we have a God who isn't just just He's also merciful and gracious. So let's have a look at that. Oh, okay. Come back one. <laughs> uh, so, um, some, a couple of people here, three people here from the Monday group, so we've done this, we've done this a number of times, but um, the way I think about justice and the way I think about mercy and the way I think about grace, which may be helpful in terms of um, uh, understanding, justice... How would, well, let's, let's do it. How would you guys describe justice? What does justice mean? Do you mean the correct Fairness. thing? Or, or meter The correct... Oh, doing the correct thing. Yeah, that's if you were the judge. Yeah. Yes, if you were the judge, you would expect the judge to do the, fa the, the correct, correct thing, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. That's but, the one of the better words. 
Justice is fairness, yes, definitely there's a very strong sense of... of but what is justice at, at, at its core? Truth could be, could it be punishment. Truth could be punishment, yes. Getting what you deserve? Yes, exactly right, Pauline. Okay, well, in, exactly right in the, <laughs> my talk today. Um, okay, so, yeah, so justice is getting what you do deserve. Okay, so yeah, let's take, for example, you know, Julie's up on a. I'm amusing Julie because you're the most angelic and least likely of her. But anyway, let's, 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 say, let's, say, Julie's, let's say Julie's nicked a mobile, mobile phone and banged to rights. She's been caught with the mobile phone that she was on, a, on camera to and you know, taken away. And the penalty for stealing a mobile phone is you know, 120 hours community service and Julie gets 120 hours community service. That's Nobody, that's fair, right? Mm. That's, what the, that's what the thing is yeah. and that's what she got. So that's justice. Yeah. It's getting what you do deserve. Okay? Mercy. <coughs> what then is Mercy. If justice is getting what you do deserve, what is mercy? Getting what you don't deserve. Not quite. Yes, it is related to forgiveness. But but if justice is getting what you do deserve, mercy is getting or good. Yes, not getting, uh, not getting what you do deserve. Okay. So this time. Uh, it, Julia's, it's a hundred days community service, but I know that Julia's been of good character, and this is the first time that she's done it, uh, and I've decided that I'm going to be merciful, and she can have 60 days instead. <laughs> yeah? yeah? If I'd given her 120, no one could have complained, because no. that would have been fair, but I've decided to be merciful, so Julie didn't get what she did deserve. Okay. I know it takes a little bit of thinking about it. Once you get it... it so grace is <laughs> grace is getting what you don't deserve. Exactly right. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So then in this case, in this case, uh, Rob comes along and says, "Look, uh, Julie's a good friend of mine. Uh, I, I can't let her do that. Um, this community service, I could easily do it. I've got plenty of time. I'll do it." Yeah. So that would be grace. So Judy gets what she doesn't deserve. Yeah. Justice, she gets 120 days. Mercy, she gets the 60. Grace, Rob does it for her. Okay. It's got to be favourable to be Grace, hasn't it? If getting what you don't deserve, if you ended up getting worse than what you deserve, that wouldn't be Grace. So it's got to be getting favourably what you don't yes. deserve. Yes, yes. So it's got to fit in with those two yeah. things, which is the uh, unconditional love, undeserved kindness. That's right, yeah, that's, that's a good There's, one. there's a kindness there that Rob came in, which didn't yeah. really, Julie didn't really deserve it because she was yeah. guilty. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's like taking the fall, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you taking the fall, exactly. Yeah. Which is, well, you know where we're going, but <laughs> we haven't got there yet. Okay, so, um, unconditional love, or undeserved love, if you like, undeserved kindness, those two things, to me, encapture what grace means in the Bible. And it's such a powerful thing. I mean, I don't, it's, a, it's a word that we don't use that way in our everyday lives. But when you see somebody do that, it, it, you, I, I personally get really moved when I see someone do something kind for someone. It, 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 it somehow gets you like, it's very little things can get you like grace. Once you get it, 
Yeah, it's taking the punishment of somebody somebody else, or it's it could be taking the punishment of somebody else, or it could just be being, being kind to someone who's who's really been. Nice. Yeah, I'm not going to go too far because we we're coming on to it. We, we were we were developing the story here, so so let's get back to justice with justice. Lamentations three, verse nine says, um, "What living person can rightfully complain if they're punished for their sins?" What living person can rightfully complain if they're punished for their sins? And the issue with justice that we have in the Bible sometimes is that we measure justice against our own fairness, not God's. That's, that's, and that is, as soon as we do that, we are essentially making ourselves God, aren't we? That's right. We're saying that we look at the Bible and you go, oh, that's a bit harsh. Yeah, don't like that. Or, oh, yeah, I don't like that. I wouldn't do that. If it were up to me, I wouldn't do that. All the time you're doing that, you are making yourself God. And the reason that we, we struggle sometimes with God's justice is because we do not understand the seriousness of sin. You see, sin to God is not a, a little thing that, you know, that we are increasingly desensitizing ourselves to um, in, in this world. We're saying to the group this morning that you know, people don't lie anymore, they misspeak. You know, you're always trying to sort of downplay. Politicians are always, you can see them all the time, trying to wriggle off the hook when you just know they're lying. But they're finding a way of... of, of. We try to downplay sin. If you downplay sin, you will always downplay God's justice. So, so for me, when I'm looking at something that I find difficult, I, I'm holding on to that God is sovereign, that God is the benchmark for fairness. I, I need to understand more about sin and I trust that he is the benchmark not me if, if, that, make, if that makes sense okay so um, what have I got uh, yeah I just, I just put that you know, to truly appreciate God's justice we need to fully understand the seriousness of sin okay so um, Let's, I mean, there are loads of biblical examples, and we're not going to dwell on them, but can you guys think of stories? So if we use that, if you accept that that's an okay definition for justice, for mercy, and for grace, can you think of some biblical stories um, that we could put into these categories? So stories in the Bible that would either be an example of God being just, of God being merciful, or of God being gracious. Can anyone think of... This, um, the, uh, the flood. The flood. Um, yes, good. What, which category would that would you put that in? Well, you, you could put it in either of the, the first two, because um, justice, because a lot of um, uh, very sinful people were destroyed, but there's also people that were saved as well. Yes. So yes. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, God's. Noah was over 500 when he had his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and he was 600 when he went into the ark. That ark took a lot, lot of building. Uh, if, I, if I get it right, it was something like 450 feet long and 75 feet wide, 150 feet tall, or something like that. That took a lot of building. There was a long time for people to have come around to what was going on and to have changed their minds and to have repented, but they didn't. So, yeah, so, the, so justice came, mercy came because eight people were saved, weren't they? And then we had the rainbow thing, which you could say. God said he's never going to flood the earth again, which you could say was gracious. Does it mean it will? 
The woman in the well, perfect, would be an example of which would you call which which category would you put that in? Grace, yeah. Well, in a sense, for, certainly for a Jewish man to be speaking to a Gentile and to be speaking to a Gentile woman would be, it's, it's crossing cultural boundaries. Jesus is doing something that you wouldn't have expected to do. And uh, you, yes, you could, put that in, you could put that into grace. Yeah? A lion. A lion. The lion with the, the thumb, isn't it? Okay, you're doing it. This is an Aesop's fable now. I know you're going. It's a, yeah. it, that, that, but that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. No. Priscilla, where they lied about the selling their property. Um, that was that was. Uh, Is it no, that was Priscilla and Aquila were were, were two disciples who lived in Corinth and they worked with Paul for a while. You are thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yes, and that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, yeah. Uh, on, uh, about about the walls of Jericho, the justice, yeah. Is that? Walls of Jericho, uh, well, it was an, ultimately it was a punishment of sin. It was a, and that's a, that's a big story. We, yes, so yes. Destruction Rob? of Jerusalem. Sorry? Destruction of Jerusalem. Destruction of Jerusalem. Justice. Mercy and grace, perhaps the return from the exile. Yes, return from the exile. Yeah, justice could be the actual exile itself. Yes. Yes, that's right, yeah. All three of those things were there. Yep. Wine at the wedding. The, sorry? Wine at the wedding. Yes, the wine at the wedding. Now, the wine at the wedding, for me, is a, is a story of outrageous grace. Yeah. Jesus made 120 to 180 gallons of wine when they'd run out. So Jesus wasn't making comments that you guys have had too much wine. I'm going to make you a little bit, because you've had too much, you've run out. He made 120 to 180 gallons of wine with no judgment about what the wine was used for or how much people were going to drink subsequently. Yes, Jesus' first miracle. Jesus' first miracle. And I think, I think that Jesus made that his first miracle because it was a miracle of grace. Um, anything else? Prodigal son. Prodigal son, perfect, grace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, would you have said grace? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I think so it's, a, it's an outstanding kind of. It's outstanding. Example. Yeah, great. I would have just said lots of wine turning into salt, and that was because that was just as old. Yeah, it, was, it seems that's one of those you think. Yes, it was. She turned around, didn't she? Yes, she did. So that would have just been justice without the mercy and grace, I guess. Yes, but she did. She was a recipient of mercy because they all came out of Sodom and Gomorrah just before judgment mm-hmm. came. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay, so anyway, I'll quickly quick round, but we've got a lot to do tonight, so I can't overdwell, okay? Uh, uh, there's just a whole bunch of stuff here. I mean, they're, they're just... Okay, all right, so what about justice, mercy, and grace together? All in one place at the same time. Rob's, I think Rob's smiling because I think he knows, he knows, he knows where I'm going. When Christ was on the, on the cross. Oh, Pauline, Pauline. That's a gold star, that is, right there. Okay. Uh, yes, at the cross. At the cross. Okay, let's do it. Why, oh, have I gone too far? No. Why did we, why is, is the cross where mercy, justice, mercy and grace come together? Why was it just? Judgment for our sins. Judgment for our sins. Do you remember before this time, 
the, the, the punishment for sin was taken through the sacrifice, the blood that was shed from a perfect animal, which was done on a regular basis. But the, the, that blood couldn't wash away our sins, it could only cover. It was an atonement for sins. Jesus, the perfect man, the only perfect man, the once and for all sacrifice through his blood, our sins were washed away. Yeah, so God's, um, it, it, it says that God basically poured his wrath, God's wrath came upon Jesus because he, um, he made himself sin for us. So God was just, so God punished sin, which God has to do because God is good. If God didn't, if you had a judge who didn't, if I let Julie off altogether, and I let the next person come off, and every single person who came before me with a, with a charge when they, well, you know they'd done it, I wouldn't be a good judge, would I? No. I'd be a bad judge. Okay. Mercy. Where's the mercy? Because of the other two on either side of it. Isn't it? Uh, that would be a good example. Yes. The, 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 the criminal and the person who had done it. Yeah, perfect. We did that this morning, didn't we? That, that Jesus reached out. He, the, the, he said... Um, it, he said the, the two guys were talking to each other, the two crucified on the side of Jesus, and one said, uh, was, was um, berating Jesus, and the other one said, don't do that, so we're justified, we're getting what we deserve, but this man hasn't, hasn't done anything. And he said, Jesus, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Said, Mercy right there. That was, that was, what had this guy done to deserve anything? So we're kind of drifting into grace as well, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. That, he, that he got, he, he didn't get what he did deserve. Well, in a sense he did actually, didn't he? Because he, he did get, he did die. But getting, getting um, the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, you could argue he didn't deserve. And he also got what he didn't deserve. <laughs> I'm getting confused. No, he didn't get what he did deserve. And um, he also got grace. Okay, and grace, this grace wasn't just the grace that Jesus um, showed on the cross wasn't just for this one man, was it? It was for all of us. It, it was for all of us. So justice, mercy and grace meet perfectly on the cross. Everything is satisfied. Everything is met. That we can be spared God's righteous judgment because of his mercy and his grace. Okay. Right, we've got to, we've got to rattle on. Okay, so Jonah's story of grace. Let's do a little bit of little bit of history for those of you who are interested in history. I did a bit of history on Sunday, and someone came afterwards and said, "I love that. I love that history." So I don't know whether you love history or not. Anyway, just do a little bit. Uh, so nine nine thirty one BC nine thirty one BC is where um, Solomon dies, and the two kingdoms that, and Israel, which was one country, the first three kings: Saul, David, Solomon. Solomon had, I think, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he married women from tribes that he wasn't supposed to marry from. Seven, I mean, a thousand wives, essentially. That, that is a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's great empathy. That's, that's great empathy. Um, and so, they, so they, dragged, they dragged Solomon away from the Lord. And because of that, the Lord said to Solomon, this kingdom is no longer going to be one. I'm going to split Israel into two countries. Israel, the northern kingdom of ten tribes, and Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, uh, two tribes. Um, and uh, the northern, so Jonah is actually positioned in the northern kingdom around about the time of um, King Jeroboam II. So the first king of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam, and then we have Jeroboam II. And uh, if we go to two kings, 
we'll just be really quick here. Things when you don't practice it, you've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> I was preaching on Sunday, it's not funny. I was preaching I was preaching on Sunday and it was supposed to be a twenty minute sermon and I hadn't practiced and I finished at, at thirty five. I kept asking the audience if they wanted to finish, but they were kind, wanted me to finish, but they were kind and let me let me went, let me go on. Um, okay, so yeah, two Kings chapter fourteen verse twenty three. To 25. Can someone shout a page out so that... that 384. 384. Okay. I, I'll let you read it. So Jonah was already a prophet. So the, the first appearance of, of, of Jonah in the Bible isn't in the book of Jonah. It's before that. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam II. So Jeroboam II was... There were 20 kings in the northern kingdom. And all of them were bad. Well, there was one that was half decent. Jehu. Um, and uh, Jeroboam wasn't any different. Uh, in fact, he was really bad. Then he was, I think he was taken to captivity by Babylonians, repented, came back, and there was a bit of a, of a renaissance. Interestingly, for a bad king, he reigned the longest of all the northern kings, about 41 years. Um, and during his time, because the Assyrian Empire, we'll come on to that, had, was almost at its low, Israel, the northern kingdom, had one of its strongest periods. So even though it had a bad king, it was doing economically okay. Um, okay, so could somebody read that? 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 25. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Je- Jehoash, yeah. king of Israel, became king of Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The first Jeroboam, yeah. Which he had caused Israel to commit. Shall I carry on? Yeah, I think there must be a bit about Jonah coming out. At least I hope so. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken for his servant, Jonah, Son of Amitai, the prophet from gath Thank you. So this is the first mention of Jonah. So Jonah is, has foretold that, that the uh, the kingdom of Israel would, would get larger, and it happened. So he's a he's a popular guy. Okay, so he, not often you get prophets sharing good news, but mm-hmm. Jonah had a piece of good news to share, and, and, and it happened. Okay. So Jonah writes um, his book at around about 755 BC. Now. I'm not sure if you can see this, but the, the dark green is the early Assyrian Empire. The light green is the Assyrian Empire, which basically started at 722. So the northern kingdom Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722, and then the Assyrian Empire really got quite big and powerful. And because of God's grace, the only bit on this map they didn't have was Judah. Under, under, under Hezekiah, they sieged Jerusalem. They were, they were at the very walls of Jerusalem. They'd taken all of the cities, and then God literally destroyed the, um, the Assyrian army. And Judah remained a country until they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians uh, at 586. So the key thing here, though, is I've got lots of dates up there. Oh, interestingly, I think that Jonah, um, so in between... So the Assyrians are ruling from 722. They attack Jerusalem but are thwarted. Then we have another book, the prophet Nahum. 
also prophesies about the Assyrian Empire. Although this time he, he uh, prophesied that the Assyrians would be defeated. So I think the only two books in the Bible, the two prophetic books, that don't speak directly to Judah and to Israel are Jonah and Nahum, who both speak to the Assyrians. Um, then we have the Assyrians were defeated at Carmesh uh, by the Babylonians, and then eventually Judah's taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So hopefully that, that makes a little bit of sense. The, um, we'll see later, Jerusalem's down here, and when we get into the story of Jonah, we're actually going to read the, the book of Jonah between us today. We see that Jonah goes to a, a port, which is a map there called Joppa, which would have been around about here. And he sets off to a place called Tarshish, which people believe was in Spain. So when we get on to the story of Jonah, just to try and fix this in your mind, Jonah comes to the port and is heading that way, west, on a boat. Nineveh is there. That's the capital of the Syrian Empire. There's Jerusalem. He's going that way. Nineveh, by the way, is um, basically, I'm not sure if you remember during the Iraq War, we quite often had, um, there was a town called Mosul that was mentioned. Well, Nineveh is on the other bank. Uh, of, so Mosul and Nineveh are concurrent, really. So that's, that's, that's where it is. Okay? All right, so... <laughs> Let's get into Jonah. Let's get, let's get into Jonah. We're going to do some reading together. And we're going to have a look at uh, why Jonah is a story of grace. So, if you could go to Jonah, someone shout out the page, please. Line 28. Yeah. Now, would you rather somebody reads it, or would you rather read it yourself? Chapter 1, we're doing chapter 1, chapter at a time. Has everyone got any questions, by the way? No? Okay, great. Alright, why don't you read yourselves? Could everybody please read chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1? You say it's 9 to 8. Is that right? 9 to 8? 9 to 8. Just chapter one. Just chapter one, yeah. We didn't we do a chapter at a time.
Okay, so just contextually, the Assyrians were known to be a very aggressive and violent nation. Um, they had had uh, their heyday sometime before this, and at the moment they were kind of in abeyance. And because of that, Israel was doing pretty well. But you can see what happens on the date line. That some 30 years, just 30 years after the time of Jonah, uh, the northern kingdom is taken into captivity by the Assyrians as they, uh, their might builds up pretty quickly. Okay, I think everybody's... No, not quite. So, still waiting for a bit to finish. The first question is going to be, why did, why did Jonah disobey God? He didn't want to go to Nineveh, um, did he? Because he was afraid of the, of the people there. Okay, that could have been one, one reason. Good, yeah. He was physically afraid of going to Nineveh because... You can imagine he's walking in, uh, you know, with a, as, as a single man, uh, walking around the place saying, um, our God is telling you guys to repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there could be some of that, definitely. He had plans to go in completely the opposite direction. Yeah, but the plans, yes, you're right, but the plans he had to go in the opposite direction was because, because. That he was asked to go there. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, it, I see what you mean, Pam. Now, I don't think it was a case of, oh, I, I'm going to see some friends in Tarshish first. Uh, I, I think it was, you told me to go there, I want to go in the opposite direction. Okay. I see what you mean, I thought that. I, I don't think it's that way. Why else? I think he saw them as wicked and was frightened that if he preached, they might repent. Yeah, I think that's, I think we're getting to another bit there, is that, is that Jonah didn't like the Assyrians and he didn't want God to be merciful, stroke gracious to them. You see, with the Assyrians, it, it is, this is more than mercy. This is grace. Because on the face of it, they don't deserve it. You see, um, Noah and his family, you could have said, deserved their mercy because God describes Noah as righteous. God describes... Um, uh, lot as righteous so they get mercy because there has some good in them the Assyrians from what we know had no good so you couldn't say that God being kind to them was an act of mercy God being kind to them was an act of grace because they didn't deserve God's attention according to Jonah now if we're honest, how, how do we feel when someone else is kind to somebody we don't like? Like him. Like him? Like Jonah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't run away. Well, so what, what would, how would it be then if, if somebody that you really don't like, that you really, really don't like, that God, you know God has asked you to go and be kind to them? Present it. You'd resent it. Yeah, you would resent it. You'd probably be angry at being asked, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think Jonah was feeling all of those things. 
He was, he was feeling angry. He, he felt... What, so what, what happens later on? Just in, in, what, what happens later on when he gets onto the ship and it, there is a massive storm? What is Jonah doing? It's relying on his faith, then. Because he, he just been downstairs and slept. He knew that he'd get through. Yeah, so he's, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. Someone else said he's sleeping. It seems to me that he's got the sleep of the righteous. That's right. He doesn't seem to be bothered no. that he's just completely disobeyed God, got in the boat, and he seems to be in his own mind quite right with what he's done. He feels that he's justified in disobeying God. And I was talking about that on Sunday. And he's told them, <coughs> and he's told them as well, hasn't he's he? He's told them, yeah. He's told, he told them quite openly, look, yeah, yeah. this is what, this is what I'm no doing. Shame. It's almost as if he has no shame, and he's completely relaxed. Because he's he's immunised himself with his own righteousness, yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about that in group today. Is that sometimes when the Holy Spirit points out things to us that they're wrong, that the the, the two of the most dangerous things we can do is that we self-justify. So, for example, you know, I know that I've really upset wrong, uh, and, and I should say sorry to him, but you can't believe what he said to me. And suddenly, you know, I've justified myself. I've, and the other one um, that we talked about this morning is um, assumed consent. Uh, and consumed consent is a, is a very dangerous thing. Consumed consent is, let's imagine that Rob's lent me his, I'm doing the lawnmower again, sorry guys. Uh, um, uh, Rob has lent me his lawnmower. And uh, he, uh, and my lawnmower is away being serviced and it's coming back four weeks from now. But Rob said, look, you can have mine, but only for two weeks, because I need it. I'm going to Antarctica, but when I come back, I need to cut my lawn. So, you know, Rob's, Rob's gone away, and I know that mine's not coming back for four weeks. And I say to myself, oh, I don't know who's going to keep Rob's lawnmower till, for four weeks until I get mine back. I'm sure he won't mind. Can you see what you've done? You've, 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 you've kind of... It's a bit like, it's a bit like yeah. saying, I know that what I'm doing is not right, and it's sinful in the Bible, but you know what? I think God's okay with it. I think it's okay. We love each other, or whatever it is. You know, you, you kind of give yourself this assumed consent. Okay, so so Jonah was definitely had some self righteousness, which uh, which protected himself from being seasick. God protected himself from he wasn't. If, if I had run away from God, I don't know about you guys. If I had disobeyed God, a I don't think I would have done in the beginning because I would sort of been too fearful. But sure as heck, if I asked, was actually running away or trying to do something like that, then I would not be sleeping too well. I would be. Um, quite disturbed about it. Does anyone think there's something slightly humorous in, uh, in Jonah running away from God? Mm. What, did, what did Jonah think of God if he, think, if he thought he could run away? Because he's thinking like a child. <laughs> he is, actually. Yeah, he is thinking. He is exactly right, thinking like a child. But what, what's, what's his view of God if he, thinks, if he thinks he can run away from God? Not enough. He thinks that not, he loves him so much that he won't be punished. Maybe, well, maybe, yes. Um, and what did you say, Pam? He's omnipresent, omnipotent. He should know and omniscient. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think he, I think Jonah somehow in his mind has got in, uh, the idea of of, a, of some kind of fluffy god, Pam. the way that Ron described, or some kind of not really all powerful god. Because how could you really run away from the god of all creation? Mm-hmm. I just thought that probably get someone else to do it. Possibly, yes. Yes, he, he, that might have that might have been that might have been in his mind that, that God would get someone else to do it. But he clearly wasn't worried about God punishing him, was he? Well, his responsibility got out the window. 
Yeah, you've you kind of washed your hands a bit. Yeah, uh, you've asked me to do that, but you know what? I know better. I'm going to do something else. He's in a kind of denial, isn't he? Really. He is, yeah. 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 And he's quite comfortable in that as well. Yeah. He's got quite comfy. I mean, to get from Jerusalem to Joppa would have taken time. Yeah. To finding a boat to go you know, to Tarshish would have taken time. There's quite a lot of time has passed here. And, and Jonah seems to be quite relaxed about it. Maybe he was a bit nervous at the beginning and he was expecting a lightning bolt or something and he didn't get one and he thought, OK, well, God's approved it. I'm all right. <laughs> Off I go. He's got a second choice. OK. Um, what else have we got in the chapter? And yet, on the other hand, you know, sort of in verse, um, wait a minute, when uh, verse 7 and 8 and, you know, 9, when they say, you know, sort of, um, you know, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us, and he's quite bold, because he says, well, I'm Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea in there. And he's, to me, I sort of, just reading that, and I think, on the one hand, you know, he's put himself above God, hasn't he, by mm-hmm. displaying. And then he sort of says, yeah, but, you know, sort of, my God. As so, what? You know, as if it's okay. And I think, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, and you see in verse 10 that once Jonah reveals who he is and the God he's serving, it says that the sailors, this terrified them. Yeah. So it's almost like the sailors, although they probably believed in a different God, they did know of the power of the God of the Hebrews. Mm. I, I, I think um, not only did they know what happened in Egypt, but God had done many, many, many things since then, which they would have known of. And clearly they held God's name in some kind of awe or some kind of respect uh, or reverence, which Jonah didn't really seem to share. That's no, he didn't, did he? Like um, a higher view of God than Jonah, didn't he? Yes, they did. <laughs> Yes, they did. Quite a bizarre. And then, and then we have this situation where um, they cast lots. Mm. Now, <laughs> it's not the day perhaps to talk about um, God using uh, what appears to be a potential thing for gambling or, or a potential item of chance to um, determine the future. But clearly God has stepped in here, hasn't he? Mm. And he's used the, the, these lots to... Um, dictate what subsequently happens or identify the person responsible and um, and here we see so what does God show to the sailors on the, on the boat after Jonah's been identified um, and he's been thrown into the sea the sailors are asking you know please Lord you know, sort of, um, you know, that's this guy for taking this man's life. Yes. For their safe passage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, 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 probably it isn't really in the great example, but all I was trying to tease out there was that God, God was merciful to the... Yeah. God, didn't, God didn't punish Jonah and the sailors. Yeah. He separated the two, yeah. didn't he? He separated, he identified the guilty, yeah. uh, and as soon as the, the, the guilty one was identified... Everything went calm for the sailors. Um, and this isn't, this isn't the first story where when Jesus makes things calm after it's been rough, people are terrified. Yeah. It happened with the disciples, didn't it? When the, there was this massive storm and then Jesus calmed the storm and they were more frightened after the storm had been calmed than before because they realised that they were in the presence of God. Um, okay, great. Uh, where are I? So Jonah is uh, thrown overboard. Um, 
And that brings us to, yeah, I think that's probably it. It brings us to the next chapter. So, so basically, we start off with this. It kind of, Jonah was offended by God's grace, wasn't he? And if you guys aren't offended by God's grace, let's read Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. As we were saying in group this morning, sorry that, that those who were there this morning were kind of doing a bit of a, of a repetition. It just happens to have done this this morning. I'm going to be so bold as to say that if you have not been offended by grace, or even are offended by grace, you haven't properly understood it. Because grace is undeserved kindness, undeserved love. Undeserved kindness will always have some kind of upsetting thing on you until you realise that you are a beneficiary of it yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you were saying that justice is fair. Grace is very unfair. Very unfair. Grace is very, very unfair. And that's what offends us. It does offend us. It does offend us. And this, this parable here is probably the most offensive parable relating to grace. So it's Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Does anyone fancy reading that? I'll read it. Yeah. Um, so, Matthew 20, 1 to 16. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Yeah. <clears throat> so who in this room is not in some way offended by that parable? We're all being paid. I think we're all offended. Really? We're all, yeah, we are, aren't we? That's right, you find out that your mate's getting more money than you, just like in West Ham. Yeah. There's a certain player who kicked a cat, it's on 
we saw that. But I think in that case, in that case, one that maybe somebody getting paid more than somebody else could be a, a case of unfairness. This is a case where everyone actually gets paid the same. Yeah, I suppose you don't know. Everyone's getting and and what the, what was what the first person was paid was fair. Yeah, the the, the yes. first person who was taken at the start of the day said, well, "I'll take you for the whole day for a denarius." So they were paid. They weren't. No. They were it, they were being fair, right? Yeah. So. The thing with grace is that when we, the more that we understand it, the more that we will see that it's unfair. But when we see how much we don't deserve God's grace, then it comes into perspective for others. That's the, that's the only way you can understand it, is when you've, when you've truly understood it and received it yourself, then you're able to see uh, how God could apply it to others. I, I'm sorry that I've used this example. We, we happen to have done this this morning, guys. But um, I was telling a story about uh, at the Christmas fair. Um, you know, at our Christmas fair, when we have it here, we give everything away. So we give the cakes away. Um, and John and Delphine, um, not John, uh, James and Delphine normally do some uh, crepes and things. And we have free games for the kids and we give away uh, hopefully good quality things for free. Uh, and it's a, really, it's a really nice day. And many people are blown away by that kind of giving things away free, this kind of grace. And um, I distinctly remember it's a, it's a box of Quality Street or something. It was out at, right by the, the cafe and it was just on the table. And I saw a woman walk past and she got the most, biggest handful of sweets you could possibly think <laughs> and she put it in that pocket. And then she got another massive hand, handful of sweets <laughs> and she put it in that pocket. And there was something in me that kind of, I just felt a little bit offended. <coughs> And then it was almost like God saying to me, that's grace. And then later in that, on that same day, there was a lovely piece of Victorian sponge, a nice, really big piece, that was on the table, on a plate, and there was one bite that had been taken out of it, and someone had left it. And I thought to myself, oh. <laughs> and then, I it was as God said to me, that's grace. It's kind of, grace is... Grace is offensive. It is. It does. It does make you think, but it blows you away. If 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 grace doesn't blow you away, just come back to the cross and think about what God's done for you, and you'll be reblown away. And every time you come back, you'll be blown away again. It's, it's a sense of injustice, though, isn't it? It's um, it, it, it niggles at you. It does because because it's because we have a, a, our really high opinion. Of our own fairness, yeah, that's right. yeah. of, our, uh, of the, 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 the middle of the fairness scale is us. Mm, that's right. God is the reference point for all of these things, mm. for right and wrong, for good and evil, for fair. He is the reference point. And if he, look, all of us, all of us have got to be immensely gracious, 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 grateful that God is gracious. Mm. I know myself, I have nothing that would deserve the Son of God to die and rise again for me. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, the, this, the conversation that we have here about this kind of sense of fairness, I've definitely had many, many times over the years when people have asked me, are you telling me that so-and-so um, has an opportunity of going to heaven? Are you really telling me that? And the answer is yes. I am really telling you that. You know, on the cross, when that thief, um, um, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief did absolutely no good works. He did absolutely nothing to deserve the grace that Jesus gave him. 
Um, and there would have been many people who said that, that Jesus... See, if we, on our own terms, we wouldn't have probably done that. But Jesus, don't take him. What's he done? He's, been, he's getting fairly punished. He's getting justice. Don't give him grace. It's cost of forgiveness, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you're feeling offended. You feel ashamed of this person. It's interesting. The only thing we've got to be a little bit careful of, a little bit careful of, in, in Hebrews, the Bible tells us, not if you keep deliberately sinning, and I don't mean that you keep sinning, but you keep doing the same sin over and over again. The Bible says in Hebrews, it warns us that we are trampling on the blood of Christ. So, I think grace does have a limit, um, but only when we abuse it by deliberately saying that we are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we love him and that he's our Lord, and we carry on doing the same sin deliberately over and over again. And we can, well, let's, well, let's go there just very quickly, Hebrews. But don't you think you'd get your punishment here on earth? As well, all right, as well as in the future. But people, like, if you continue, obviously there's all levels of sin, it's all sin. But don't you think you get that punishment? I think the Lord disciplines, the Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves. So I, I am actually very comforted when I'm disciplined by the Lord because I know that's because he loves me. And it's not very nice at the time. But, um, so I think that in that situation you would be disciplined, but then you would still carry on doing it. And eventually you come to a point where, let's just have a look at it, what does it say? Let's go to Hebrews. Now it's becoming like Monday, right? We're going, <laughs> yeah. we're going all over the place. We're going all over yeah, the place. Yeah, keep your finger on that page. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. If any of you guys are around, are around on Monday, you're very welcome to, to come and sit in what on the group. What time is it? It's at um, 10 o'clock. From where? Oh, it's in the, in the cafe, just off of the cafe. So I just come in with a Bible and these guys ask whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to. Oh, that's right. I don't know where we should finish. But let's go to 31. Verse 26 to 31. Can somebody read that, please? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. Deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Sorry, yeah, keep going. To 31, please, how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Yeah, thanks. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thanks, Pam. I think it was a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was, um, a, who was a German pastor and he wrote a book called Cheap Grace. Uh, was it called Cheap Grace? Or? I, I the theme know. was Cheap Grace, the wasn't it? The theme was Cheap Grace. We always talk about it as being Cheap Grace. I don't know whether yeah. it was called that. Uh, and Cheap Grace... They used that word, didn't they? used that phrase lots yes. of times. Yeah. Uh, and it, Cheap Grace is this idea that we can carry on doing whatever we want to do 
and we can ask God for forgiveness and it's okay. That's cheap grace, as if, as if you know, you've got a free pass to do whatever you want. It speaks differently, doesn't it, that, that Hebrews passage. Okay, so um, Jonah chapter 2. I think we're going to be okay. It's okay for time. I'm okay for time, Sid. All going well. Okay, Jonah chapter 2, please. I looked up during my sermon, <laughs> during my sermon on Sunday and I said to myself, she's out of time. <laughs> and then I was asking for five minute extensions for the congregation. What <laughs> number? Can I shout a page out, please, for Jonah? 928. Thank you. If you're listening on tape, we're, we're still going. Just a long pause. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, what does God show Jonah? Grace. Yeah. He shows Jonah grace, doesn't he? he but does it say that God's grace will find you wherever you are? Because he's in the well's stomach. Yes, yeah, God, well, well God's, it was God's grace to put Jonah in the, yeah. in, in the right. fish's yeah. stomach. Yeah. yeah, so it's almost as if, it's, this, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, if you, as you read Jonah, there's this interplay between Jonah, who in a, in a way represents us. Mm-hmm. So I know that we don't really want to be Jonah, mm-hmm. but the reality of it is, is quite often we are Jonah. And we have this interplay at the beginning where it's almost like Jonah says to God, I don't want your grace to be for people I don't like. Mm-hmm. Or, or I deserve 
And then the next thing that happens in chapter 2, God says, okay, let me show you what grace looks like. Because Jonah, in chapter 1, had moved himself into the undeserving category, hadn't he? Yes. Yes. By, by, running away, by running away from God. And so God says, okay, let, let me show you. This is what grace looks like. And Jonah's full of it, isn't he? This is a, this is a prayer of praise that he, that he uh, writes within uh, the stomach of the whale. And so Jonah should now, should he not, understand what grace is. So, Jonah chapter 2. Grace should delight you. Okay, let's move on to chapter 3. So hopefully you're still in there, roughly in the same place. Oh, no, let's stop. Sorry, let's stop. Let's do, let's do the... Can you, can you put your fingers there or keep something there? We'll, we'll just do John... I just, we might as well just do the verse I can put up there. John, John chapter 2, verse 10. Yeah, it is the water intertwined. But it's the reaction. Yeah. It's the reaction at the end. So I think it was Pauline who said, and Jesus turning water into wine, I think it's a beautiful story of an example of grace. And this is where we're going now. Let me find it for you, Pauline. Thank you. Can you keep your finger there, Pauline? And then it's John chapter 2, verse 10. Okay? So somebody read John chapter 2, verse 10. This is after Jesus has changed the water into wine. Yeah. Everyone <coughs> brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Yeah. yeah. That's it, isn't it? That's lovely, isn't it? Grace should delight you. The guy was, what have you done? You've just saved the mad. Okay. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, please.
Okay, I'm sure you guys have um, uh, heard lots of sermons. What, what do we think of Jonas? He seems to be, he's actually been uh, obedient, hasn't he? Yeah, he has been obedient. He send it around and he's Correct. He has, the right thing. has been obedient. But his sermon, this is his sermon. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Because it's such a bit brutal, isn't it? I mean, I've, you, we've all heard some sermons, but this, this one is not the most eloquent or the most. It's very... And yet, what happens? They repent, yeah. repent yeah. from the king down. I think the interesting thing is that he doesn't say, doesn't suggest they repent. No, he doesn't. They do it themselves. Yes. Correct. They, 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 they do it themselves. So why would they do that? They, they would only do that if they believed that the God of the Israelites was God. Or at least was a God who had significant, genuine power. Otherwise, you'd just be laughing. Jonah would be, he would have been humiliated. He would have had his beard cut mm-hmm. off, which would be humiliation in those days, or would he would have had his tunic cut off so that you could see his bottom. Those are the kind of things that you did as, to disgrace somebody uh, in, in that time. To have been taken seriously could only mean that they took God seriously, because this isn't the best preach. Yeah. This isn't the most uh, eloquent preach, is it? And so <laughs> we, we finish up. <laughs> we finish up we're just going to show what God can do so that's it's encouraging for those of us who do get up into the pulpit I suppose with average ability that, they, that God can can do things he can do things anyway yes so um, yeah this is an amazing absolutely amazing repentance that we see going on here and interestingly although we don't get the story later on given the timeline that we had so let's imagine this is us We've gone somewhere <clears throat> that God's told us to do. We see this phenomenal repentance. <clears throat> what would we do? Probably. We'd go back to our home church and say, look at what's just happened over there. Let's send some missionaries. Let's, send some, yeah. let's plant some churches. Let's, let's do some stuff. What happened just 30 years later? Israel's overturned by the Syrians. After this phenomenal repentance, genuine repentance... No one, it seems like no one followed up. Nobody went to talk to them about, about God, to introduce these people to the real God in which they had a relationship. Because I think at that time, and we could see that clearly in the New Testament, that the, the Jews were jealous for God. They were meant to be the ones who were an example of a people in right relationship with the living God in order to attract other people in. And we'll, we'll talk about that later, but they didn't in practice. They didn't know only did they not practice what they were asked to do, they, they wanted somehow God to be exclusively theirs. And I think the story of Jonah completely shatters that, as we'll, as we'll see a little bit later. Okay, so, you can't have grace without another word that goes with it. I think that we see in John, John chapter 3, that grace is amazing, isn't it? The, the reaction that we've got here to God's offer of grace, his undeserved kindness, his unconditional love, is a, is a, a city-wide repentance. So what have, we got, what have I got here? Mark chapter 15 verse 39. I don't know what that verse says, so why not? Let's go there. Or keep your finger in Jonah. Please, um, let me help you, Pauline. I'm coming. 
I can't remember what this first says, so I hope you don't do Matthew chapter 15, verse 39. Oh, yeah. Mark. Oh, Mark. Sorry, Mark 15, 39. So keep your, keep your finger there for me, please. That's it. And then. That's it. And it's. So you keep your finger there. That's it. And verse 39. Mm-hmm. 39. 39. Just up there. So that's, that's 39. 38, 39 there. Okay, somebody read that verse, please. This is, this is the centurion uh, who has seen, no doubt, seen lots of crucifixions. Okay, I'll read it. Yep. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he, how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Yeah. I think, I think that the centurions, seeing all the stuff that happened to Jesus, remember Jesus is on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's, he's just brought this robber into, into his kingdom. The centurion has watched many people die before, but not this man. And he's not, he's, he's, he's not seen this grace. He's not seen consideration for other people. He's, he's not seen also the sky, the sky go dark for three hours, <laughs> which probably was quite symbolic as well. And he comes to the conclusion, surely this man was the son of God. Okay, John chapter 4. So, we've seen a reaction to grace in all three chapters, haven't we? Grace being offensive in the first chapter, grace being beautiful in the second chapter, being amazing in the third chapter, and now we're going to see some more to finish. like a ping pong match this God demonstrates grace Jonah demonstrates ungrace 
I'm not sure that's a word, but you know what I mean. When was the last time anyone read this, by the way? Whole book. Last year. Last year. Okay. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, I'm just curious. Maybe, just maybe when you read it next time, you might read it in a slightly different way. Okay. No, I'll get a couple more. A little bit more time. Okay, I think in the early part of the chapter, Jonah reveals his true motives, doesn't he? Yes. His true way of thinking. So what do we see there in the, in the, early, in the early part of chapter 4? Well, he's put himself above God, hasn't he? He's sort of said, this is what I, you know, uh, isn't this what I said, Lord? And I was still at home, you know? It's almost funny. He's saying, he's saying, look, he's saying, God, look, I was right. Yes. You, you are gracious and compassionate, <laughs> slow to anger and abounding in love. I know, you're, I know what you're like. Exactly. <laughs> well, what an accusation. I know, it's terrible. It's true, God. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he's angry about it. <laughs> it's, it it's almost funny. It's, it's like, like Ron says, it's a, it's a childlike reaction, isn't it, really? It's a bit like a, a, a petulant child. Yeah, petulant child. Yeah, and he's just about to drift into a mega soul. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and he says, he says, Oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He, he, he was so angry that God was showed grace to someone he didn't think deserved it. He didn't want to live. But this is, uh, and what I find amazing about the rest of it is God's infinite patience with Jonah. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you have just got a bit cross with him? I think you should have slapped him one. And, 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 yes. and instead, instead of slapping him one, in the proverbial sense, what does God do? God tries to show him grace again. That's right. There's a way out. He tries to, he tries to get into Jonah's and a thick skull, I think, is probably the, the right description for Jonah at this point. What grace really means. So Jonah sits down to make himself comfortable and sulk, to look at the city, to see whether there's any chance of God relenting. And actually destroying the city, with, which is what he wants. That's what he's sitting there for. Um, and then what does God do? Takes a plant away. Or the shelf away. Before he takes it away, what does he do? He provides it. He provides it. He provides it, doesn't he? Yeah. So, so again, this is an act of grace, isn't it? Yeah. The, the undeserving Jonah, instead of being chastised by God, God tries to teach him tries to help him to understand what grace is. And so this vine grows up, which provides him a beautiful shade, doesn't it? And then what happens to the vine? 
Eaten. It gets eaten. With us. Yes. And it's to and it's to show Jonah it's to teach Jonah a lesson. But so look, what do, what do we see as it comes down? Jonah, God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is still self righteous. He's still self justifying, isn't he? He still thinks that what is right. And then what, is, what does God say? These are phenomenal verses. Phenomenal verses, verses 10 and 11. When you think about people who talk about this is a God who is different in the uh, Old Testament from a God in the New Testament. I've got a few other verses for us to finish with as well. It says this. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and, it, uh, sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This God is the same God in Genesis and in Revelation, before Genesis and, in, and forever. When, when we, we know the verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, Jesus Christ is God. God the Father is the same yesterday, today and forever. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today and forever. God is the same yesterday and forever. There is no change in God from um, the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so, as we come into our conclusion, the grace, God's grace, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think possibly gets a bit lost here is that prophets in the Old Testament, if they were ever wrong, then that was it. You weren't allowed to be wrong, and in a sense, because Jonah had prophesied that Nineveh would be destroyed. Um, he was worried in one sense about his reputation as a prophet because he proved right before in the context of Israel and I think that he also was in a sense putting his reputation above God's reputation yes I think that there may have been that there may have been that he, he may have said you know he, he may have said I, I know God's told me to to, to go and tell them, but this is what I think is going to happen, and you know he's out there, and he's yeah, it could be right. There could be a human element that he's got some of his own reputation attached to God not doing, uh, not being gracious and kind and compassionate. The whole message. Yeah, because uh, because he'd come back and Nineveh repented, and it's probably not going to be popular, because I, I, I suspect everybody else would have wanted the same thing as Jonah, because it's clear from what happened afterwards they didn't send a missionary party out to Nineveh to go and tell them about God, to go and introduce them to God's ways, to go and to try to... They didn't do any of that at all. They just weren't interested. And from their point of view, Jonah's mission was a failure, probably. But not in the context of God's big picture. But in a sense it was, because look what happened 30 years later. I think things would have been so much different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know, do we? But I think they could have been so much different. But so why don't we... So yeah. the fact that he kind of went to Tarshish and didn't go to Nineveh means he suspected. <laughs> yes, that's what he, what he said. He suspected there. that God yes. might. Yeah. Because God was mighty, because God could work miracles, that they might repent. Yes, I think. So I he think, had a feeling they might, didn't he? Otherwise. Yeah, that's what I think. What he says in, at the beginning of chapter four, yeah. I told you so. Yeah. I told you you'd be kind and compassionate, yeah. and, and, and all, I mean, what a what a what a weird <laughs> accusation. <laughs> it is, isn't it? What a, anyway.
let's just finish with these, 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 these verses. Okay, so some, some we can do Isaiah chapter, we'll do different ones. Um, can maybe a couple of you do Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 8, Ezekiel 33 verse 11, John 3 16, which um, is probably the most famous verse of all, and then 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4. I very rarely do a presentation and get a verse without getting a verse wrong. So let's see if one of these is <laughs> it's a chapter or two out or something. I love that those verses in Isaiah 55 yeah. kind of again also shatters the illusion that um, that God wasn't interested in any people apart from the Israelites. Somebody want to read that? Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 8. Sorry, Paul, I'll find one before you, Sean. We're not doing all of those, it's just one. So I'll find you the last one, Sean. 1 Timothy. Can somebody read Isaiah 55, 6 to 8? 743. <laughs> I'll read that if you like. Um, Isaiah 55, 6 to 8. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Mm. Did that turn out well? Sorry, 1 Timothy 2. Um, that's yours, the one that possible. Um, was that was that clear? Was that where? Um, if, could you go back a little bit in the chapter um, yes. to see whether it talks about sort of eunuchs? Am I in the right chapter? Isaiah chapter fifty-five. Did I say? Yes, you did. Yeah. Does it talk specifically about eunuchs? No, I'm in the wrong. Okay, so there it is. Um, yes, fifty-six. Sorry. Okay. Isaiah 56. There we go. I it, still, it still does... It, yeah, it does, does a bit. It does a bit, actually. Yes. But um, well, yeah. since, since I got there, I'll, I'm going to read it. If you just flip yeah. one chapter, please. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so that's it. That's maybe that's my one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Isaiah 56, verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them, a, give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be a, called a, a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them, beside those already gathered. So, so God is talking about foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord will be treated in the same way as anyone, as the Israelites who bind themselves to the Lord. Okay. Um, next one, please. Hopefully that's right. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from the, their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Okay, great. So the Lord's saying, why don't I don't take any pleasure? In the death of the wicked, I take no pleasure in punishing the wicked. I want them to turn and live. Okay, John six, John three sixteen. Yeah, I'll do that one. Okay, thanks, Paulie. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. Great. So God so loved the world. Okay. And in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, if somebody has that. Yeah, this is good and pleases God as Saviour. He wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Yeah, God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Not a few people, all people. So this good news, this yeah. grace, God's grace, is for everyone. Okay, I'm almost perfectly on time. Has anyone got any questions? If not, I'll pray to close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a just God, that you are a merciful God, that you are a gracious God. I pray, Lord, that you'll never, ever stop us being blown away by grace. And, but mostly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be grace to others, that we would be ambassadors of grace, that we would be grace carriers, that we would help us to love one way, Lord, that's so hard. But I pray, Lord, that in the power of your Spirit, that we will, we will love people who don't love us, that we'll be kind to people who others might consider to be unworthy. Help us to have your mindset. Help us to have your heart. And help us to lead others through you, to you by being more like you. To the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you everybody. Thank you.